Brother Tim. Appreciate those good songs. Just a few more weary days and then. They don't all have to be weary days, do they, Brother Paul? They don't have to be weary days. We will fly away. There's no use to think that there have to be weary days. Who was that wrote that song? But some of them are more challenging than others, right? More, more, some can be challenging. Second thoughts about the second coming from 2 Thessalonians. Please turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Second thoughts about the second coming from 2 Thessalonians and we're in chapter 1. Chapter 1. I say second thoughts, not that we are revealing or trying to find something new. It's the same gospel, the good old Jerusalem gospel. But we want to renew our thoughts about the second coming this morning. Second thoughts about the second coming. This is a theme that just dominates the New Testament. Jesus talked about it, John 14, when he said that he was going away to prepare a mansion. If I go and prepare a mansion for you, I will come again, he says, John 14, 1 through 3. I will come again. I will come again. In Acts chapter 1, the angels, as Jesus ascended up on high, Acts 1, 9 through 11, the angels said to the disciples, this Jesus whom you see going up into the air, he will so come in like manner. He's coming again. He's coming again. John talked about it in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. He said, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him and we'll see him even as he is, whoever has this hope, hope will purify himself even as the Lord is pure. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. We know that Peter t- discusses it in 2 Peter 3, 10 when he says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night and then all these surroundings that we know about, the earth and the universe and all the elements thereof will be burned up. Peter talked about it as well. Paul talked about it over in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8. He says... Uh, Henceforth there is laid up for me that crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me on that day, on that day, second coming, on that day, not to me only, but to also all those who love his appearing. We will narrow our study down to 2 Thessalonians 1. Notice a few thoughts together. Remember also that at the very end of the book of Revelation, the end of, of the Bible, One of the last statements is, even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Looking here to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, about the second coming, notice in verse 7, it says it will be a day of rest. A day of rest. Notice in verse 8, it says it will be a day of vengeance. Day of vengeance, notice in verse 10, it will be a day of glory. Notice with me, it will be a day of rest for the faithful. Notice in verse 7, to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Notice that it will be a day of vengeance from the Lord to the unfaithful. Verse number 8, in flaming fire, 
rendering vengeance to those who know not God, inflicting vengeance to those who know not God. And then notice it will be a day of glory for the Lord. A day of glory for the Lord when He comes on that day, verse 10, to be glorified in His saints. So that's the outline of our study this morning. A day of rest for the faithful. A day of vengeance for the unfaithful. And a day of glory for the Lord. We will simply just expand our thoughts in in each of these areas. Notice first, it would be a day of rest for the faithful. A day of rest. This will be the beginning of that eternal rest that the faithful will enjoy after their work and service to the Lord here on this earth. You remember Revelation 14, 13 also, where John hears a voice from up above, and, and the voice says, write this, Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. And then the Spirit says, Yes, indeed, John, for they shall rest from their labors, and their works will follow them. So at the coming of the Lord for the faithful, it will be a day of eternal rest. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Well, the rest that we will enjoy in heaven will be an extension of the peace that God brings us here. Brings us here. We come to Jesus here. It doesn't have to be weary days. We come to Jesus. We come for forgiveness. We come for purpose. We come to learn about life. And when we do that, we, are, we have rest to our souls. Well, we enjoy, on a limited basis, we enjoy that now. But when we get to that day, when that day comes, when we're able to leave this earth and get to be with the Lord, it will be an eternal rest. Now, this is promised to Christians. To Christians. The church in Thessalonica had its beginnings with Paul's travels. If you look back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, 1 through 9, you see Paul comes into Thessalonica. He comes to the synagogues of the, the synagogue of the Jews, and he goes there three Sabbath days in a row, and he preaches about the suffering of Jesus and the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, and he proves that Jesus is the one who should be called Christ. And many responded in a positive way and and many became Christians, but there were some Jews who stirred up a mob and um, inflicted persecution upon uh, Paul and others there. And, um, And that persecution continued, but so did the church. So did faithful Christians continue to serve uh, the Lord. Now, this rest is promised to Christians, and there are, notice here in 2 Thessalonians 1, there are three characteristics that are particularly mentioned of those who enjoy the rest, the eternal rest. Notice those with me in verse 3. Notice the rest is promised to Christians who have an abundant faith. Notice this in verse 3. Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, 
as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. So the rest will come to those who are growing abundantly, Christians who are growing abundantly in their faith. The original language there is interesting. It carries with it what we would call prefixes uh, super and hyper. Okay, comes over in our language as, as a super and a hyper uh, faith. That's, that's, that's the rest uh, that is promised. The people who will enjoy this rest are those who have a super faith. They have a hyper faith. Not just a lukewarm faith. But a faith that really is growing. And it is powerful before the Lord. The original uh, word here carries with it the idea of, of something that is beyond measure. It is a faith that you cannot measure. You, you, it's a faith where you don't just point out one or two things and then say, I'm faithful. But it's a, it's a full life of service and faith toward the Lord. Is it possible to measure the amount of water in the oceans? Is, is it possible to, to measure the universe? It's just not possible. So that's the ideal here. It's a faith that is abundant. A faith that is abundant. We may think maybe of Abraham's faith. We read in Romans 4, 20 and 21 that he didn't stagger at the promises of God. But he waxed strong through faith and uh, giving glory to God. Uh, he, he was fully persuaded. He was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. There are three basic areas of faith, and we've mentioned this many times, but it's so important. There are three basic areas of faith. And we need to be hyper, we need to be super, we need to be abundantly growing in each of these areas. One area is knowledge. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. There's the learning part of our faith. The second part of our faith is, is the, the, the obedience part, the submission part, the serving part. We must, that's the active part of our faith. That's the energetic part of our faith. And then the third part is the trusting part of our faith. Faith has three important elements. Learning the Word of God and obeying that Word and then trusting the Lord as you carry out His will in your life. And we need to be abundant in all three of those areas. Notice a second characteristic of the Christians who enjoy this rest. And that is, they are continually increasing in love. Notice in verse 3 here, it says, Your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. The idea here is, when a flood comes and a river overflows its banks and then irrigates the land, all the land that surrounds that particular river, that's the kind of love that they were having. It, it would not stop. Their love for one another would not stop. It continued to overflow uh, its banks. Uh, Paul prays in Philippians 1 verse 9 for those brethren that their, that their love would abound more and more both in knowledge and discernment. Well, the Thessalonians, they were already there. They were already increasing their love on a daily basis. You see, if love doesn't flourish, if love doesn't continue to increase, if love doesn't continue to grow, then what replaces that is bitterness and suspicion. It's very dangerous. If we're not continually growing in love, then bitterness and suspicion of other people will step in there. That's why Paul warns in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, 
He says, let all bitterness and wrath and malice and, and anger and so forth, let that be put away for you, from you. And you yourselves, you love one another. You forgive one another. You become tender-hearted one to another. Just as God in Christ has forgiven, has forgiven you. So notice here two characteristics. They, were, they had an abundant faith and they had an ever-increasing love and then they were strong in persecution. As Brother Brent was mentioning earlier before Bible class, he read this, this passage for us. You know, these Christians were enduring uh, great persecution, uh, continuous affliction, and yet they continued strong in their faith. Notice it here in verse 4 once again, 2 Thessalonians 1. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are uh, enduring. Jesus promised this. He said this uh, back in Matthew 5 and verse 12. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. For great is your reward in heaven. This is being played out right here. What Jesus said in Matthew 5 is being played out right here in this church in Thessalonica. So notice that the Christians who will enjoy this rest are Christians who have an abundant faith, they have an ever-increasing love, and they're willing to stand strong underneath persecutions and uh, afflictions. Just think about, when you open up your map, when you open up the back of your Bible and look at your map, and you look at Paul's missionary journeys, okay, on, on the right side of your map will be Jerusalem, okay, and that's where the church, that's where the gospel really got its beginning. We read that from you know, Acts 1 and Acts 2. You go across the Mediterranean Sea, way over here, going toward Rome, and there is Thessalonica. How did the gospel get over there? I'll tell you how it got there. The abundant faith, the increasing love, and the willingness to stand strong under persecution, that's how the gospel got there. The Thessalonians understood that. They took up that spirit and they were continuing, continuing that spirit way over there. And so we see that it's going to be a day of rest. A day of rest. Now, we'll take just a minute with verse 5 here, because verse 5 is very exciting. Those who are under persecution should never think that God doesn't care for them. In fact, it's the very opposite. This is new territory for a lot of people. But it's the very opposite. Let's Notice what he says here in verse 5. He says, this is, this persecution, see in verse 4, afflictions. This, this, what, what is this? This, this persecution, the afflictions you're enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are, for which you are suffering. See, it's, it's like when, when Satan came before God in Job's day. And God said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? None like him in all the earth. He turns away from evil. He fears God. Won't you try Job? Look at the confidence that God had in Job. In Matthew, uh, rather, Acts chapter 5, 41 and 42, when Peter and John were released from prison and they gave them a really hefty beating uh, as they let them go, what did Peter and John do? They went back to preaching and teaching the gospel, but also they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. 
far from being picked on, far from being just forgotten, when we suffer for Christ, then that is a, really a badge of honor. This is God saying, I've got confidence in you that you can live and thrive and endure and stand up and be a light for me. It's going to be a day of rest. But then, secondly, it's going to be a day, that second coming will be a day of vengeance. A day of vengeance. You see it right here. Now, two, three, and then four. My goal here with day of vengeance is to make two points and then three points and then, and then four, but it's not going to seem all that long. Concerning, concerning uh, vengeance, this vengeance we're talking about from the Lord, this is a heavenly vengeance, a, heaven, a heavenly wrath. This is not, this is not mankind getting mad, getting angry in an impulsive way, you know, lashing out at someone because of something that's happened to them. This is, this is God, and He is, he is the perfect God. He's, he's the God of all mankind. This, this is the judge of the earth. Genesis 18.25 says, Shall not the judge of the earth do right? This is the judge of all the earth. And... When God renders vengeance, it is just and it is right. All we can do is read and learn from what He has told us. We're not the ones making the judgment. This is God's judgment. This is a heavenly uh, vengeance. This is, not, this is not related to what man does. This is the perfect God rendering what He knows to, to do and to be right. Okay. This is God rendering vengeance on those who have rejected their only hope. They have rejected the only gift that they had in order to come out of their sins. This is a heavenly vengeance. God has shown His, his vengeance over history. We know He did in Noah's day with the flood. We know He, he did during Abraham's day with Sodom and Gomorrah. We know He did in Aaron's day and Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus uh, 10. Uh, we know that God has shown His wrath and His vengeance on numerous occasions. And the day of the second coming will be a day of vengeance. There's a sense in which God showed His vengeance and His wrath when Jesus died on the cross. Because, you know... When Adam and Eve first sinned, they were driven away out of, out of the Garden of Eden. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, it's our sin that separates us from God. And so, how is God responding to this? He's responding by sending His Son to die. To die for us. The day of vengeance is a heavenly vengeance. But it's also a very distinct vengeance. Only God can render vengeance. You remember this from Romans 12. Only, only God can render vengeance. If you look over to Romans 12, beginning about verse 17 through 21, you, you see there, we are not to repay evil for evil. We're not in the avenging business. In fact, he says there, doesn't he, in Romans 12, 19 or so, avenge not yourselves for 
God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It all belongs to Him. It all belongs to Him. Our duty, he says there in Romans 12, is not to be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. If your enemy persecutes you, if your enemy ends up being hungry, feed them. If they end up being thirsty, give them drink. Overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome with evil yourself. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. In fact, in fact, these Christians who will enjoy rest are busy trying to encourage other people to come into the fold of Christ, to come and receive the blessing of the death of Jesus so that they would not have to undergo the day of wrath and vengeance that it will be for some folks. We don't, we don't want people to be under wrath of God. That's why we have that abundant faith and increasing love and steadfastness of faith. It's because we don't want other people to be under that wrath of God. So it's a heavenly vengeance. And it's a distinct vengeance. It only, belong, only the Lord is qualified to render vengeance. But now let's think about this. Who are the people who will be inflicted by vengeance on that second coming day? Well, as you can see here in your chapter here in, in verse 8, 2 Thessalonians 1, there's, there's three classes of people First, those who know not God will uh, meet the vengeance of God on that day. Those who do not know God. There's no one that has an excuse not to know God. Paul explains this in Romans 1, uh, 20 and 21. He says, just the creation itself ought to be enough evidence for someone to start seeking God. And if they start seeking God, they will find Him. Acts 17.27 says that. You know, The evidence of God just in creation itself and in the order of life itself ought to cause someone to want to feel after and seek after God. And so Paul says there in Romans 1.21, he says, um, even though they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. And they did not give thanks. But they became futile in their thinking and their understanding became very darkened and so they turned and they professed themselves to be wise and actually they were fools and then the list goes on and on in Romans 1. Those that know not God, those who have not even bothered to seek after God, will receive the vengeance of God on that day. The second group those who obey not the gospel. These are those who would conclude there is a God and you ought to be served, but they didn't go far enough to learn what God would have them to do to be saved. They have not obeyed uh, the gospel. Notice Peter's words in relation to this in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, 16 and 17. He says, uh, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it first begins at us, what shall be the end of those who obey not the gospel? If the righteous shall scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinners appear? Obeying the gospel. Obeying the gospel. This includes both our initial steps to receive forgiveness of Christ from Christ, 
And then also a continued uh, obedience to Him. The gospel can be summed up, Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15, as Jesus uh, dying for our sins, uh, being buried, and being raised on that third day. That is the core of the gospel. That's the facts of the gospel, if you would. There's also uh, the promises of the gospel. When we come to Christ and we submit to Him, then uh, He promises us uh, forgiveness. He promises us rest. He promises us hope. So there's a lot of promises that are attached to the gospel as well. And then there are the conditions of the gospel. The conditions of the gospel. The message of the cross. And for one to initially come to Christ, you've got to have faith. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11 and verse 6. And one must be willing to repent of his sins, Acts 17, 30 and 31. And one must be willing to confess his faith, confess his knowledge and understanding and conviction that Jesus is the Son of God, Matthew 10, 31 and 32. And one must be immersed in water for the remission of sins, which is the same thing as being immersed into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It's the same thing as being immersed into Jesus. Paul said in Galatians 3, 26 and 27, we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. And this brings forgiveness of sin. But there is something else here. Obeying the gospel is not just a one-time event. Mark a couple passages for me, if you don't mind. Acts uh, 14.22 and Acts 13.43. Please mark those in your Bible. This makes reference to times when Paul and his company would go back to a place where they'd already been in order to encourage the brethren to continue in the faith and to continue in the grace of God. To continue in the faith and to continue in the grace of God. In fact, Peter says in 2 Peter 2, verses 20 to 22, it would have been better for them to, not, to never to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to turn away from it. And so obeying the gospel is something that we do all throughout our service uh, to God. Vengeance will be rendered to those who know not God and to those who obey not the gospel and to those who would inflict harm upon God's people. Notice this in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Those who are persecuting the Thessalonians would get their day. Now, it's not that we are wishing for them to get vengeance from God. The Thessalonian Christians would be working day by day to try to persuade the hearts and minds of people to come and learn about Jesus and receive forgiveness themselves and understand really what life is all about. They would be encouraging them to do that, but those who would refuse to come to Christ and continue their infliction upon the people of God would one day see and experience, will one day see and experience the vengeance of God. God will inflict harm upon those who are inflicting harm upon His people. 
those that know not God, those that obey not the gospel, and those who inflict harm upon God's people in particular are mentioned here in 2 Thessalonians 1 as those who will receive the infliction of vengeance from God. Now, there are four characteristics of this vengeance mentioned here. The flaming fire, the suffering of punishment, and the eternal destruction and being away from God's presence. Being away from God ought to be bad enough. To be abandoned by God is what hell is. To be abandoned by God. Notice this in verse 10. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of God. Of his might. We remember Jesus saying in Matthew 7 23 that he will say to those who never came to him, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. Those are the saddest words a person will ever hear. For the Lord, instead of the Lord saying to you on that day, Well done, good and faithful servant, to hear the Lord say, Depart from me, I never knew you. This is what verse 10 is talking about. Being away from the presence of the Lord. That's part of the vengeance. But also, the eternal destruction. This is not being extinguished. This is being ruined. Okay. This is being ruined. Um, I've, I've probably ruined a good number of clothes in my life. But those clothes did not just disappear and and vanish. They were ruined to the point of being useless. That's the condition of a person who is under the vengeance of God on the second, on that second coming day. Not being, we don't disappear, but rather we're going to go to a place where we will be rendered useless and it will be a total ruin of our body and spirit. It will be misery. It will be uh, anguish. Is what it will be. And it will be unending. Notice it here in eternal destruction. Unending misery. But it says here also that a part of this vengeance will be a suffering of punishment. It comes down to this. God brought Jesus to this earth to pay the penalty, to take on the penalty for sin. If we do not allow Jesus to, to take that penalty for us personally by obeying the gospel, if we don't allow Him to do that, then we have to pay it ourselves. It's one of the saddest consequences ever. The, the possibility is right in front of a person. Jesus has paid this for you. He has suffered for you. But instead of coming to Him, you end up paying for it yourself. For eternity. Suffering punishment. We read in Galatians 3, 10-13 that Jesus became the curse for us. He became the curse for us. It's really good news. 
I know we're talking about vengeance here, but the good news is you don't have to undergo the vengeance of God. Jesus became the curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin in our behalf. It doesn't have to take place. The great news is that Jesus has come to the cross. If we come to Him, then we don't have to suffer the punishment. Away from the presence of the Lord, suffering the punishment, eternal ruin, all this is part of the the vengeance that uh, will be displayed on that day. A day of rest, a day of vengeance, and then a day of glory for God. A day of glory. Matthew 25, 31 says something like this. On that day when Jesus will come in His glory with all His mighty angels, and He will sit on His glorious throne. Well, we don't have time to get into all the aspects of God's glory, but just think of it this way. We know that the very presence of God is glorious. Every time God appears, as we read through the Bible, every time He, is, he appears, it's an amazing, it's a brightness of light. It's, it stops everything that's taking place on earth. When God would appear more personally, it would stop everything, just like it stopped Saul of Tarsus in his tracks when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. The glory of God's presence will be, will be known. And then here in verse uh, 9, it talks about the glory of God's might, His power. So God's power be on, will be on display on, the, on that glorious day. Well, His power, what, what is that? The resurrection of the dead will be taking place. The changeover of our physical bodies, spiritual bodies will be taking place. There will be a lot of power. The, the earth will be destroyed. Time will be no more. A new, complete world is, is being developed and, and one destroyed. And a, and a great mass of people will be before the throne of God. It will be a tr- tremendous, glorious display of God's power. And then look at his angels. All the mighty angels will be with him. It will be a day of rest for the faithful, a day of vengeance for the unfaithful, a day of glory for the Lord. If we are there, and we will be, when we are there, and if we have been found faithful, we will begin right then Worshiping and serving our Lord like never before. Doesn't Romans 14, 10 through 12 talk about how that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord? It will be a day of glory for the Lord. Second thoughts about the second coming from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, day of rest, day of vengeance, and day of glory. I hope this can be an encouragement for us. First, through more knowledge about what will take place, but also mostly as a motivation for us to serve Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we can assist you this morning with any spiritual need, you know very well 
that the invitation of our Lord, who is so gracious and loving, that, that invitation is open to anyone who is willing to come. Please come right now as we stand, as we sing. Brother.